This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So I'm actually for real, not just talk radio hyperbole, actually for real, a little mystified by what's going on here. Here's our Secretary of State yesterday. The United States does not seek conflict with Iran. We do not want this war to widen. But if Iran or its proxies attack U.S. personnel anywhere, make no mistake, we will defend our people, we will defend our security swiftly and decisively. If Iran or its proxies attack any of our people suggests that it hasn't happened. But there is this report from yesterday. There are growing safety concerns about U.S. forces serving all across the Middle East this morning. This after multiple attacks against U.S. forces serving both in Iraq and Syria. While these attacks, the U.S. believes, are being carried out by third-party militias, Iranian proxies, the Pentagon also believes that these attacks have Iran's fingerprints all over them. At least 24 service members have been injured in these attacks that have taken place, as I mentioned, both in Iraq and Syria. So at least... Two dozen service members have been injured in attacks by Iranian proxies announced by all the news outlets the same day that the Secretary of Defense says if there are any attacks by Iranian proxies. Isn't that weird? What was going on there? I guess I'm being expected to believe that Abdul said to Muhammad, hey, you know what? Let's forget about our regional conflict that we're fighting right now. Let's attack the United States of America. 
Why? Did Iran tell us to? No, just for fun. No, of course Iran is is directing all of this. Well, right. And they're, nobody, they're, they're great puppet master. These groups only exist because of Iran. Well, nobody in the media seems to even be questioning that. So, oh, my God. The lack of curiosity in the media. You're so right. That's unbelievable. And I'm not even trying to present this as a how dare you or I'm being lied to. or But I'm just trying to figure out what's going on there. We didn't know about this. So this is spread out over the last two weeks. They just released the information now. Why did the same day... Pentagon, the State Department, I don't even know who put this information out to all the media outlets. This was unknown until yesterday, apparently. Um, why did the same day they put out the information that we've had two dozen service people injured, and you, and you don't know how injured? You remember that? What, who was president during this? It might have been Trump, actually. But we had one time where there was an oh, attack, yeah. and they talked about minor injuries, some people injury, and it turned out there were some pretty bad injuries. A lot of traumatic brain injury. Yeah, we downplayed it for some reason. We could yeah. be downplaying these, but why did the same day they announce all these injuries, they say, if Iran or its proxies, proxies attack us, when they clearly have attacked us? I don't know what's th- going on there. I think because it would be so weird to say anymore. If they attack us anymore, we're going to go We're gonna go full on. If you do that again. You. Yeah, um, I think it's just that the administration is desperate to turn the burners down on whatever aspects of the chaos going around, going on around the world. They they can. They're reaching out through the back channels to Iran, saying, "Hey, you're trying to push us right now. Now is not a good idea because we will go again, full on ape." Uh, just letting you know, I don't know. You guys, just, if you guys are pushing us and pushing us, you got to stop now. It just seems like. Raising a kid or or training a horse or a dog or anything like that, you you just made a rule that they violated and nothing happened, and you acted like you enforced it. I just it's because the public pronouncements of diplomats are always in that weird code of diplomacy. You, you allow the other guy to back down with dignity if you pretend like. You know, everything's cool. Let's make sure it stays cool. So you let them act like, well, I've made this decision independently, not I've altered the course of my behavior because I'm afraid. But it's it's for a normal human being to watch and try to decode. It's strange. So you think what they were saying, you can't say this out loud, but what they were saying is, look, you've injured a whole bunch of people. If you attacked us, if you do it again, that's a problem. You think that's what they were saying? We were saying it, it, yeah, it's one of those situations, whether you know it's with a buddy or your kid or or whatever, where you put up with something, then say enough. I think. And by the way, something. How does the evening news or how how did anybody put those things together the way we just put them together? The Secretary of State said this. This is what happened. What yeah. gives? Well, right. It was ABC News had both of those things yeah. in a single yeah. newscast, a half yeah. an hour newscast, but didn't say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what I just realized, Jim? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. I I think they're just desperate to avoid a widening heating of the conflict with Iran. So they're giving them an off ramp. Yeah, well, it's not like for it. now, for now. Well, I guess we'll see if Iran continues to attack us. Or allow their proxies to attack us. And and you, you always have to remember, whether it's in, in war or diplomacy or, or real life, 
there are times you really, really want to throw a punch right now. But if you can hold off and, and get things arranged first, that punch will be a lot more effective. As I continue to complain about media coverage, uh, and, and it's not just complaining about the media, because it's got so much to do with perceptions and then the politics that will follow people's attitudes about things. I mean, it really matters. Um, as you were talking about yesterday, all, all the news is about the plight of the Palestinians and how awful it is for them right now. And uh, everybody keeps repeating the numbers of Palestinians killed, particularly children, that are being announced by Hamas. Now, I have noticed that news outlets are saying, like I was listening to NPR today, and th- their lead was... The Hamas-supported health ministry in Palestine, in, uh, in Gaza reports this many people killed. So you, you said it out loud. You said it, but it's just weird that you're saying it, that you're giving us the numbers at all, isn't it? Wouldn't it be the, the, the Adolf Hitler announced we've killed 50,000 Germans? Who cares what Adolf Hitler thinks? Right. Who cares? Why what, are you what, asking? Why, yeah. why would you ever report anything he says? Um, why are you reporting... Hamas says we've killed this many people. Isn't that weird? It seems really weird to me. If, if I might uh, illustrate that point, there's a uh, there's an internet account, uh, a Twitter account that I follow that it kind of ostensibly is Alexander Hamilton or was at first, um, but it's just a really interesting editorialist who, for whatever reason, remains anonymous. But I thought this was a great example of what you're talking about. Outside the obvious, he writes, let me give you an example of why it's irresponsible for news networks to use death totals from Hamas and how this choice isn't new. Back in 2022, during the second intifada with a wave of terrorism, Israel tracked many of the attacks to the Janine refugee camp. Maybe you remember this. Israel decided they had no choice to, but to go into the camp, which militants had booby-trapped and prepared for battle. Israel went in on April 2nd. By April 7th, Palestinians were claiming over 500 dead. In the next week, they would raise that number to thousands. CNN reported the Palestinian claims of 900-plus dead, so the BBC. There were claims of massacre, bodies being hidden, etc. that dominated the press. The Israeli operation ended on 11, uh, April 11th. Human rights groups and the UN went in. The actual casualty, to- casualty totals based on those groups, which weren't exactly friendly with Israel, was 53 Palestinians. 53. That includes militants and some civilians. So overnight, the death count went from 900 plus civilians to 53 and mostly militants. 23 Israeli soldiers were also killed. Now, the thing about the Jenin battle is because it was the West Bank, the numbers could be verified. CNN and others learned little from that. Hamas is even less reliable than the Palestinian Authority and has full control of Gaza, so there's no verifying anything they put out. And these media outlets know it. They know Hamas is making up the numbers. But they're jazzy. They're clickbait. Well, that's, man, that's, okay, I hate it, but I'll let you have clickbait that is a woman in uh, with big boobs in her swimsuit. And you're claiming it's a story. But this, like I said, this shapes public opinion and will affect elections. Now, obviously, it's not just Hamas leaders that are being hurt. I mean, I've seen the videos, and I don't believe they're all faked up. It looks like an right, of course. awful yeah. lot of Palestinians are getting blowed up. But I'm sure the numbers are inflated a lot. I mean, dub- maybe quite possibly doubled or more. I mean, if you're not doing that as Hamas, you know, you're not doing a good job. I would do that, too, if I was Hamas. Yeah, it'd be uh, propaganda malpractice if you didn't. Right. So uh, I had another point on that. Oh, so watching CNN yesterday, 
this gets to the whole thing of the college kids in the streets or the lefty uh, Democrats about how the Palestinians, you know, they've been in a cage all these years. You can't blame them for lashing out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they did elect Hamas back in the day. And there's some belief they would elect Hamas again if they had another election. Well, Jake Tapper on CNN yesterday just flat out stated, he said, um, many people believe that the reason there haven't been any elections in the West Bank since 2006 is because the Palestinian Authority, who runs the West Bank, uh, believes that they would vote for Hamas and they would lose. They would get thrown out. Hamas would be in charge of the West Bank, too. I appreciate Jake, Jake Tapper saying that out loud on CNN. But so if that much of the population is in support of a group of people who set babies on fire, how bad am I supposed to feel about this? I mean, I just I don't I find this hard to follow. If Israel has a right to exist, they have a right to defend themselves. And it is nearly impossible to imagine a scenario where they would defend themselves that doesn't include wiping Hamas out. How are you supposed to do that? They vowed to kill you. They just slaughtered 1,400 civilians, burnt babies alive, etc. Then they- I would t- At this point, I would take them at their word, they're out to slaughter you. And they uh, embed themselves in the population on purpose. They won't let the population leave the population centers, as Israel yeah. asked them to do. I, just, I, don't, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. What, does it, what do you think the Biden administration is hoping they'll do? I don't know. I really don't know. I really don't know either. I honestly don't know what the answer is. Are, 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 are you just hoping that they'll, they'll like cool off enough that they won't do anything? That seems crazy. They'll be as surgical as possible to make the PR disaster among the brainwashed and the neo-Marxists and, and the young make that PR disaster as small as possible, I guess. Well, you know, you can join the conversation anytime you want. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. I want to uh, uh, fill in a story I talked about earlier, this cancer test that's out there. It's pretty darned interesting. Uh, it's pretty expensive, but, you know, maybe you'll decide it's worth it. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, But I saw that uh, due to a global cocoa shortage, chocolate is going to be way more expensive. 
Yes, the price of chocolate has gotten so out of hand that people can only afford M or M. <laughs> That's right. You know, chocolate's gotten pricey when you see a guy grating a Snickers bar over a kid's Halloween bucket. All right, everyone, everyone gets one dusting. Right now, the circus peanut's like, whoa, 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 look who came crawling back. <laughs> circus peanut, very available. Yep, chocolate is more expensive. However, uh, if you hand out raisins instead, the damage to your house will cost way more. So. <laughs> the circus peanut. <laughs> well, well, well. That's funny. That's funny. M or M. Um, look, you and I, we, uh, there is a stark line between us, a bright line between us on the circus peanut. I grew up loving Oh, them. God, they're so gross. My dad likes them. <laughs> so gross. Have you ever had a circus peanut, Michael? I mean, that's an old-timey no, candy. Oh, really? I'll have to bring some in. They mm. look like a human toe <laughs> and taste similarly. Oh, that is so wrong. Delightfully fluffy and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 look who came crawling back. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, uh, Katie, a take on the uh, circus peanut? I love circus peanuts. Really? Atta I love girl. them. I knew it. I knew uh, I liked you for some reason. I was I was going <laughs> to guess that it was too old-timey that you were unaware of them. but No, I tried them probably 10 years ago because I was dating a guy who loved them, and I, I think they're great. You were dating a guy who likes circus peanuts. Where is he incarcerated now? <laughs> You PFN left the man with RDF one eight nine. Yeah, <laughs> you uh, you left the man behind, but kept the peanuts. That's fabulous. <laughs> uh, I assume the reason I once had cancer is because of circus peanuts. But uh, there's a new one thousand dollar test out there for detecting cancer in your blood. I thought the subheadline was dumb and misleading as I read the whole story. Um. It's designed to detect more than 50 cancers. Doctors are split on whether it's worth the risk for patients. I hate this sort of thinking. Their idea is that you could uh, you would use this test, not find any cancer, and then not get the other normal tests you're supposed to get. So that could make it dangerous. I just I hate that sort of parental watching out for me BS. Yeah, I'll um, go ahead and get those other tests as well. Or I won't, point. but don't yeah. withhold this one because you think, yeah, whatever. But uh, what's interesting about this is it's currently quite expensive. Obviously, that price could come down as often happens with drugs. Uh, but it detects stuff really, really early. They had a couple examples in there of someone who you know, took the test and it showed, hey, you got something. And they went out and they found they had a little tumor growing in their colon that they wouldn't have found out about until way later because most of the time you find out about tumors and stuff like that because you start getting pain or headaches or a variety of other problems that cause you to go get tests and it's often too late to do anything about it in this case it saved them now there have been studies that show it has a 50 percent false positives whoa as high as 50 percent false positives so you definitely want to go with the if you get a positive, thinking, okay, maybe, maybe not, but worth going to get checked uh, and, and not freak out. Mm, I'm thinking most people would freak out at least a little bit. I don't know. I Yeah, I don't know. And then, the, But then you take the next step and, you know, you either find out early, which is a godsend, or you find out you're in the clear. There's honestly, a lot so. of different kind of cancer, so I just, but that's the way I'm built. If I find out I got cancer, I wouldn't. Because there's, there's plenty of cancers that are pretty darn treatable. None of them are great, mm. but a lot of them are pretty darn treatable. Some of them are really, really aren't. 
And uh, but so that might be common thing. I don't know a thousand bucks, and you do it every year. Give I you some peace of mind. Uh, I could see that becoming fairly, fairly popular. Yeah, yeah. I I I definitely believe that that's the future, though. That we will we will. I don't know if they'll ever cure cancer, but we're definitely going to enter enter a world where we're all taking tests fairly regularly that catch it damn early. Well, that'd be great. Let's get those going as quickly as possible, please. Uh, signed, a rapidly aging middle aged dude. Yeah. So have you heard about this trend of the 50% grading floor in K-12 through schools? Even if a kid doesn't do a single word of a two-page paper, you give them a 50%. Well, the data's in. The data's back on how effective that is in helping kids learn. I'll bet you can guess. Stay yeah. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I was just trying to send a message. I'm so annoyed by how much worse voice-to-text is than it was a year ago. It's going the wrong direction, Apple. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, the whole, if you pause for a brief second to figure out what word would be best next, all of a sudden there's a comma there. Or a question mark all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Regular question marks just in the middle of nowhere. It's worse than it used to be is all I know, and I do more going back and fixing it than I ever had to do before. It's just, I don't know, it's just annoying. Yeah, yeah. So I had a conversation last night with my daughter who's applying to law schools about the uh, the logic problem uh, part of the LSAT. That's the test you take to get into law school. And it's actually the subject of a lawsuit, and it's kind of interesting. Um, but um, I'm, I'm looking through this really great piece by a woman named Jessica Gross about um, some of the trends in education. And uh, I don't mean to give away the punchline, but... I find myself wishing that, like that cancer test we were discussing, there was some sort of standardized test for a a person's capacity for logic. 
critical thinking in general. And I'm not talking about, you know, you've got to be Descartes, whoever that was. I just know. <laughs> um, don't put Descartes before the horse. Um, or, you know, you don't have to be Thomas Sowell or James Madison or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. But can you think logically? And uh, and I think the, the, the results would probably be fairly shocking. If you, you know, looked at humanity. Uh, the reason I bring this up is uh, Jessica Gross wrote this uh, piece. Uh, I'll, I'll quote part of it for you, then we can discuss. But she says, two weeks ago when I wrote about the proliferation of 50% grading floors in K-12 through schools, I was shocked that there wasn't more evidence available to have informed such a systemic change in the first place. The teachers I spoke to for that newsletter felt that this kind of policy, which prevents them from giving students zeros, including if the kids have skipped an assignment completely, coupled with policies that don't allow them to factor attendance integrating, left them with few options for holding students accountable. Even some proponents of no zero grading have acknowledged that there's not much proof that it actually improves outcomes. A 2010 journal article arguing in favor of this policy on the grounds that giving students zeros can wind up discouraging them conceded that the benefits of those minimum grading policies were largely theoretical. And then she goes into the fact that, okay, well, that was 2010. Now a bunch of schools have tried it, and there's no evidence whatsoever that it's helped anybody. Much, much less the most critical, you know, the underprivileged students, students of color, that sort of thing. Um, and then uh, she goes into uh, more than a decade has passed since that article. There still isn't much research to suggest it improves student outcomes. Other big changes in schools, like going to four-day school weeks from the five-day week, while increasing in popularity, particularly among some rural school districts that admittedly have trouble recruiting teachers, they have similarly scant evidence of efficacy behind them. But she points out that... Once you put these things in place, they're really, really hard to roll back because schools don't work like businesses that do beta testing a particular practice, meaning let's take a look at the bottom line, see if it actually worked, uh, and, and looking at the results and moving forward based on outcomes. Instead, these types of realignments become the status quo, regardless of what the data says. And I thought that was just, it's, it's not that big a point, I guess, but I thought it was interesting. And you've seen this in the culture of schools in spite of all the testing, they never look at whether stuff works or not. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or they don't care. I assume this is another good ca- example. I assume they care. But it's, Some do. There, Some of the there, people do. Yeah. There is this, and I, uh, well, I can't get more specific because I'm pretty involved in a bunch of different things at different levels in, in public schooling. That, But it is, it is government, and it is the bureaucracy of government, and everything that goes with bureaucracies is just there's just a lot of um just the nature of bureaucracies there's, there's so much just box checking and the feeling like because we came up with a template and we've now checked the boxes for the template we've accomplished something and there's mm-hmm. like there's no at the end of it yeah but did it help whatever we were trying to do yeah. happens all the time at all levels of government it seems to me yeah absolutely She points out this is what seems to be happening in California with algebra instruction. Starting in 2014-2015, San Francisco Unified School District stopped offering algebra in middle school, delaying it until ninth grade to try to close racial achievement gaps in higher-level math, which is just a 
troubling, troubling idea to begin with. I should amend, uh, didn- I should amend my comments that it's not just government or schools or anything like that. It's bureaucracies in general, because I've seen sure. plenty in the private sector, too. There is something. Who's in favor of bureaucracies? Is anybody in favor of it? Or is it just something that grows like crabgrass? No matter how hard you try to fight it, you're going to have some, and you pair it back when you can. But, but the, I've seen them not work at so many levels, and that thing that I just described where you come up with a template or an idea, and then everybody just tries to answer the questions for the template, mm-hmm. and the ultimate goal gets ignored so often. <laughs> Did we get more listeners? Did we make more money? Did we educate the kids? The, 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 the big thing gets just lost. Right, and then you layer on top of that the iron law of bureaucracy that uh, over time more and more people become interested in saving the bu- or protecting the bureaucracy as opposed to accomplishing the purpose of the bureaucracy. Man, I, wish yeah. I, I wish I was smart enough to craft some sort of book or something about that that everybody would understand <laughs> so we could attack this problem. Yeah, I know. That's one of my dearest dreams, coming up with some set of arguments that could wake people up to that. But anyway, so they, they tried this experiment, not letting kids excel in math, so the kids who don't excel in math would feel better about it. And as she writes, the results were mixed at best. Racial achievement gaps were not closed. So, okay, you announce this uh, forward thinking, this enlightened, this progressive plan to help close racial gaps. But racial gaps aren't closed. It didn't work. So what do you do? Well, California might adopt this policy statewide based on a successive draft of a document. Based on what? Because it makes you feel good? Because it sounds enlightened? It doesn't work. It doesn't help the, the kids of color. I just That's getting back to my original point about, do you have the capacity for logic and critical thinking or don't you? Um, and, and she concedes, look, there has been some success in some places, but teaching is an art as much as, as a science, and some teachers were able to implement this stuff uh, better than others. And then she goes into uh, schools going from the seven-point grading scale, meaning an A is 93 to 100, uh, to a 10-point. It's 90 to 100, 70 to 80, that sort of thing. Um, and sure enough, it uh, raised grade point averages by 0.27 points, but had no effects on student achievement. So nobody's learning anymore. Nobody is encouraged by your theory. Nobody is discouraged by the way it used to be. It just doesn't work. But this stuff becomes permanent. That's pretty frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think government education works anymore. I don't think our culture is logic-based, fact-based, data-based enough to do it anymore. I think we've become a feelings-based culture. Um, I think emotionalism is now the main driver in American affairs, and that's an awful, awful thing to base uh, policy on. Um, Completely different topic. You mentioned yesterday a friend of the Armstrong and Getty show, good friend of yours, is going to be the umpire for one of the World Series games. And we now know the World Series is the Arizona Diamondbacks versus the Texas Rangers. And uh, and I was thinking about that last night as I was watching a little bit of the game. Here's one of my things that I haven't enjoyed about modern sports that I still watch. The NBA season kicking off this week, they they do this a lot in the NBA, criticizing the refs. The announcers criticizing oh, the refs. Used to be something nobody did. You used to actually complain about like John Madden would look at a replay and not mention that obviously that was a blown call. 
Well, yeah, I can see why that would be bothered, but I think that was better than the way we do it now. Now the announcers criticize, like, every call the announcers make. In the, the uh, NBA. The officials, yeah. Mm-hmm. The officials the, in football yeah. and in Major League Baseball. So, like, um, uh, so this friend of the Armstrong and Getty show is going to be behind the plate in Game 5. I hope he doesn't have the situation the guy behind the plate had last night where there was a pitch and then the announcers look at it and say, I don't know how that's a strike. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he is looking at. Then the next pitch, they they gets called a ball, and he said and they both start laughing. That was the same pitch, same pitch, two different calls. And I thought, ah, that's not that's not good for anybody, is it? That that because you got the fans then think the fix is in. The umpires can't do the job because they're second-guessing themselves all the time. I see it in the NFL all the time. Oh, that's clearly interference. They call that nine times out of a ten, but the, just I don't know. The NBA, it's nonstop. Mm. Jeff Van Gundy, announcer for the NBA, did that all the time. The, that was a foul. I don't know what league in the world is that not a foul. Yeah, I just, I just don't think that helps the sport any. Interesting. Yeah, I know. I know in baseball, it's. Uh, people inside the game understand that uh, umping balls and strikes is way harder than it looks. And that box on on TV is just silly. Yeah. Um, And the speed at which it's happening. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and the amount of movement they get on the ball as well. Um, So I think inside the game, they they deal with it a lot better than than on TV. Um, Yeah, but you wouldn't want the announcers calling you out to the whole country. uh, Laughing at you. (laughs) Yeah. Clearly, oh, it, it was. Oh yeah, it's 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 it's. I think the term is dickish. Um, I'm I'm just trying to. Uh, I haven't really thought about this from the perspective of a viewer. As a football, I think fan, it makes me angrier as a viewer, though. It, it makes me thinking all the time, like, what's the point of even watching? The calls are so bad. That that's what I get mm-hmm. from a lot of NBA games, and then then the NFL. I don't know how the hell they make any call at the speed that that's happening. Sure, in the super slow mo. 4K I've got on my TV. That guy got his hand in there. But in the real time when they were looking at it, how do you possibly tell if that's interference or not? You know, the impossibility of refereeing basketball has driven me away from the sport. It's so arbitrary. I can't watch anymore. I just, I hardly watch basketball, even college basketball. Um, so I totally hear what you're saying. I, I think I need to disagree on the football thing, though. And, and I'll tell you why. If you're, if like, I'm a 49ers fan, and there's some phantom interference call on the 49ers, and, like, back in the day, the replay would go, and you'd clearly see he did not touch his arm, and the announcer would say, that's where he touched his arm, and that's interference. you go crazy. Now you have a guy come on and say, you know what? It looks like they missed that one, and uh, that should not have been interference. As a fan, I think, yeah, there you go. See, he agrees with me. I I feel like I have somebody speaking for me as opposed to the world is against me and nobody's hearing my cry of anguish. Hmm. So I don't know. It depends on the sport, I think, and the situation. It certainly, well, it fits in with all the other cultural changes that have happened, though, doesn't it? That. We used to just, um, it's like what's happening in Congress. It's like what's happening, you know, at your local Little League game with the parents in the stands. All the, the all of the niceties have gone away. Yeah. So it's not surprising that announcers now, you know, criticize the umpires or refs or whoever in whatever sport nonstop the whole game. 
I'm sure there's some thinker out there that's written a brilliant piece or even a book on this topic. And I realize it's a little ironic coming from us, given what we do for a living. But one of the weirdest, I think, most corrosive aspects of modern American society is everybody thinks their opinion should be heard all the time. That and, is uh, that is a, we're, we're, we're not the right messenger for that. Well, uh, it's ironic at, at best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, just everybody's got to make a scathing comment on Twitter yeah, yeah. or or scream at the referee at a youth game. Nobody cares what you think. What you think about that referee is immaterial to anything happening here. You're you're just bellowing out your animal lust and expecting everybody else to want to hear it. But this is the second topic this segment where I wish I was smart enough to like write a really good paper about or something or come up with a theory because I don't think it's a coincidence that People in politics didn't used to just flat out call each other liars. They never said that. Mm-hmm. My esteemed colleague must misremember the. It was like some long way to get around calling you a liar. Now they just call each other liars all the time. Yeah. In the same way that in the booth, you didn't call the referee, laugh at the referee for making a bad call, and people didn't drop f bombs in the McDonald's. I think all that stuff is tied together in some coarsening of society. You don't do it because that would be impolite and unfair. That's a quaint and antiquated no antiquated notion. I wonder where the end of Well, the line. I could just combine them. It's antiquated. <laughs> I wonder what the end of the line is for this pendulum swing. And uh, hopefully we're there. Uh, War we- of all, all in all. Nasty, brutish, and short. Come on. Bring it on. Oh, awesome. Uh, we'll finish strong next. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Well, some news from overseas. There are some reports going around that Vladimir Putin recently had a heart attack. But today, he the, the Kremlin denied the claims. Yeah, it was tough for medics because the defibrillator paddles kept slipping off his oiled-up chest. 
After the reports, people accused the Kremlin of using a Putin body double. Oh. And Putin said, now y'all hang on just a second. <clears throat> I mean, please, hang on, this is misunderstanding. So I'd seen some stuff bouncing around about uh, Putin having a heart attack, although there have been a couple of those since the war in Ukraine started about he's got uh, Parkinson's or had a heart attack or look, his hand is shaking or whatever, and none of them have really panned out. But it uh, reminds me, he um, he uh, idolizes Peter the Great, leader of Russia around 1700. And I was on a podcast last night with uh, listening to historian Simon Sebag Montefiore. I don't know how you pronounce his name, but I've read a couple of his books. Sebag, is that his nickname? It's his middle name. And he's written a bunch of great books about Russia. But anyway, he, he was going on about Peter the Great, a whole bunch of stuff I'd never heard before. I did, uh, Peter the Great was six, seven or six, eight, depending on who you ask, which back then would have been crazy tall. The average person was probably five, five. So, yeah, it's practically a biblical giant. But he was a bit of a nut. Um, he was really into throwing dwarves around, among other things. Wait, what? Chewing on human body parts. What? Yeah. Like, he was super crazy. And very influential and accomplished in all kinds of other stuff. Maybe another day I can go into more detail, but... What's a a hell of a tease. Final thoughts with A.N.G. And a gruesome, heartless torturer of human beings in the same way Putin is... Russia has probably had a longer line of that kind of leader than any other country in the world. Oh, yeah. Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up for the day. There he is, Michelangelo, pressing the buttons. Michael, final thought? Well, with the NBA season starting, if somebody glues themselves to the floor, just leave them there and keep on playing. I agree. Dribble it right off their heads. That's right. Katie Green, our esteemed newswoman, has a final thought. Katie? Also with the NBA, we talked earlier about LeBron only playing for 29 minutes in a game, and now I think that doesn't really matter since he spends his whole time on the court rolling around on the floor anyway. No, he does. I didn't watch last year. He's a flop. (laughs) Flopper. Flopper. Jack, final thought for us? I'm going to tease the One More Thing podcast is what I'm going to do. Uh, Another segment that we're going to record here in a little bit, and you can look for that podcast, and it's all going to be about how much money do you have to make to feel like you're rich. The latest numbers that are out are pretty shocking. I guess it has to do with inflation. Hmm. Interesting. I'll stick around. I was going to plead tiredness and go home, but I guess not. Um, Durr, my final thought is, speaking of Russia and their legacy of totalitarianism and stuff like that, it's worth reminding ourselves the American system, the Constitution, were the product of hundreds of years of English common law and the Magna Carta, representative government, the king giving up powers to the legislator, the legislature. It's a long, long process. A lot of cultures have no history of that. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people who thank so little time, go to armstrongandgetty.com. Drop us a note, would you, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com if there's something we ought to be talking about. Pick up a t-shirt or a hat or something. Helps keep our fabulous crew on the payroll. We'll see you tomorrow. Whatever the latest is then, God bless America. Armstrong and Getty. Can I make a very obvious point? Absolutely. Ah!
Yay. Things are getting weird, and they're getting weird fast. I just picked that up. Has anyone ever thought of that? I just picked that up. I'm sorry. You know. Can I eat some I, ice cream? Yeah. Why don't you go f- yourself? Yeah. This is not some, This is not the way to have a conversation. Okay. For the United States of America, for God's sake. Stop it. On that high note. I yield the rest of my time, but f- this. Hi. Good night, everybody. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.